This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to Grief Relief. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley. My co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley uh, and daughter, is not with me today because we did uh, some television shows, uh, three shows this weekend, and you can see them on our website, opentohope.com, and so she's flying back to New York today. So I'm kind of solo here, and I've got a great guest, Beth L. Hewitt, Dr. Beth L. Hewitt, very, very interesting person. She's done so many things, and you're, you're really going to enjoy this show today. And she really understands about pain and anguish of grief. Um, she's a facilitator and, and a trainer for the National Catholic Ministry to the Bereaved and active in the grief ministry of her parish. And she, in recent years, has lost her brother, sister, and father. And we talked a little. I've talked a little bit about uh, how the death of her brother impacted her father and, and maybe some of his health. So uh, we'll be talking about that a little bit. But Beth is so interesting because she's been a college professor and she is very adept at writing and also is into this grief area. So uh, very interesting. Beth, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Gloria. I'm glad to be here. I was just so interested in in your journey. How have you gone from writing and teaching and all that kind of thing to the ministry, uh, and to the bereavement field? It, it was quite a journey. I've, I've been working in writing and college teaching of writing for more than 30 years. About 12 years ago, maybe, well, it'll be 13 years this year, my older brother, George, was killed in an ultralight plane crash. And that very sudden death, a very tragic death, uh, twisted our family in, in a lot of different directions. And um, I was dealing with grief just like everybody else. Not long after George died, um, my father died in his sleep. He was somewhat overweight and hadn't taken always good care of himself, but we believe that he died primarily from grief from losing George, who Mm -hmm. he described as his best friend. Now, my dad and my mom had both gone to compassionate friends, Mm-hmm. to get some relief and talk about their loss of George, who was 44 when he died. And my dad participated fairly fully. He would talk when he wanted to talk, and he would cry when the tears came. And he wasn't shy about showing tears around us, but his sadness just wouldn't lift. And it was about 16 months after George's death when Dad went to bed one night and just didn't wake up. You know, there's actually some literature on that uh, called dying of a broken heart. Literally, how it can stress the heart, the grief and loss. Yes, I believe it. I mean, Dad had a had a heart that needed a pacemaker before George died, but this was this was different, and uh, it changed our family in even more ways than George's death had changed our family. When George died, I became mom and dad's primary caregiver in the sense that I suddenly was able to know about the family will, about where the graves were, about their desires and wishes for um, life instructions and whatnot if they were to be sick. Once dad died, mom was totally afloat, and um, I stopped 
teaching at a uh, one of the Pennsylvania State University campuses, and we moved from Pennsylvania back to Maryland so that I could be near mom, uh, my husband and I, to, to take care of her. And it wasn't more than a year or two after George and Dad died that Mom contracted cancer. And the next stage was then to walk the cancer walk with Mom, who thankfully now is completely clear and free of cancer, but I strongly believe that her cancer was connected to her grief. It's like she cried for three years, and then she was sick for three years, and then she stopped crying, and she got well. But she still had a a significant hole in her life. And uh, one of the things that I learned in working with her was that I had um, a real heart for people who were grieving and that I could work with my own grief in healthy ways such that I could be with my mom Mm -hmm. and be with other people who were grieving without it tearing me apart. So I knew that this was the next step of my journey. And, and making, as uh, some say, meaning out of this loss and finding uh, some place to put it in your life and moving out to help others. I love that. What, you know, I just think that there are so many people who are going through, particularly the baby boomers, who are going through what you're talking about. Uh, when my parents get sick, you actually made the the move to actually move by your mother. You know, making those kind of decisions, who lives where and what, is a very tough thing, I'm sure. Well, it is, and I made a very definite choice that changed my trajectory in a university setting. I would never be a tenured professor, which was a a lifelong dream until that point. Um, and I grieved that for a while, too. Grief isn't only about the death, but all of the ripples that come out from the death. And one of those ripples was that I needed to choose between a career dream that my family was supporting fully or being there for my mom and for all of the different things that were to come. And I made that decision, grieved it anyway, and now am finding that I'm actually in the right place in my life. And it's, it's been some years to get to that point. And, and how was it with your husband having, having him make that decision with you? Did you have children then that moved with you? or? Well, actually, we had moved to Pennsylvania for my benefit when our son started college. Mm-hmm. So our son was happy because we moved from Pennsylvania, I mean from Maryland to Pennsylvania, which was never a home to him, back to Maryland where it was familiar. So he had a more familiar place to come home to from college. So he was happy with that. And my husband had made that move specifically for me where he was working in Pennsylvania three days a week and in Maryland four days uh, a week. Okay. So um, he was doing a lot of traveling, and God bless him, he was happy to do it, but he was also aware that that this was a good move. In fact, he works in emergency management, and 9-11 had happened shortly after we moved to Pennsylvania, causing him to need to work more in Maryland. It, It all just worked the way it was supposed to work, despite the fact that it was painful. Now, um, what if, you know, I'm listening to the show right now, and I'm having to make this kind of a decision. Do you have any suggestions for me about these kinds of monumental decisions? Well, um, I think, for me anyway, I knew in my heart what I needed to do. It wasn't a difficult decision for that reason. It was difficult because it changed what I wanted. Um, sometimes i found that what I want isn't always the best thing for me, and, and I know that people 
may want to rail and flail and protest at that, but and I protested too. I I just found that it was more important, given our history and our family, to move back home. And in fact, you know, it, it, it allowed me to be a little bit closer to my brother's children and wife, which was important, um, as the children were finishing their growing up years. And it allowed me to be a little bit closer to family altogether, because the next stages of our life involved my in-laws dying and my spiritual advisor dying and probably most significantly my sister dying three mm. and a half years ago. So there has been a lot of change in death, and it turns out, oh, I never would have known this growing up, but it turns out that I'm the steady person around which things can continue to flow. For some people, it may not be the best thing to move by family members. That's and... absolutely right, and they need to make the decision that's right for them. Um, knowing that if you are a caregiver... I think that you also have to be a caretaker of yourself. Mm. That's hard work. It's really hard work when you're also grieving, mm -hmm. because grief is hard work. I mean, these are a lot of difficult things. And for what they're calling the sandwich generation, which is what I'm in, with parents who need help and children who need help and young people in our lives who aren't able to get fulfilling and sometimes can't even get a job, let alone a fulfilling one, you know, there's a lot of caregiving going on. And so if people are wondering if this sort of move is good for them, they need to you know, do a really good hard think about how they would take care of themselves in that setting. I'm very fortunate to have a husband who is alive and well and able to help support me as we both support my mom. So it's a serious decision, and you need to look at your resources. Now, Beth, you also have the fact that you, because of your brother's death, you became the only only child in the family that was living, correct? I'm, I'm not the only family, I'm not the only child living. Oh, okay. I was the second oldest child, and my younger brother, um, how do I say this? I think people will recognize that there are some people who would prefer not to be the one who does things mm -hmm. in the family. And so my brother has chosen to live his life differently, and my sister was totally unable to. Oh, that's right. You did have a sister, yeah. I did have a sister. Right. She died of alcoholic cirrhosis, mm -hmm. and her um, death is, I think, in part contributable to her her unresolved or un, unaddressed, let's say unaddressed, very deep grief over my brother and father. Lots and lots of things go into people's lives and into their deaths and into the choices that they make. And I think that... Um, it's very hard to know what's happening in someone else's mind and heart, but I could see that in some of the decisions she made that, that she was saying she was unable to continue to live in this world. Now, what would you say, I, I, am, I am listening and I am saying my sister or my brother wants to take over, but, you know, um, I want him to. Uh, but I feel like maybe I should have a part in it, too. I mean, how do we best support the person, the, the what did you call yourself, the person that was going to be the the one that people connected with? How right, the steady pole around yeah. which everything would flow. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you've got a relative who is that, how can we support them in being that person and let them be that? Oh, that's a really good question. 
Well, if we don't want to do that, then the first thing we have to do is, is be clear about it, have a conversation and say, that's not where I want to be, which frankly is what my younger brother said, and I'm grateful for that, which means that there are only certain types of issues that I need to consult with him about. Otherwise, I can make the decision with my mom or for my mom, um, whichever is best, and then I can let him know afterwards because he's been clear. Sometimes people aren't clear, and they kind of know that they don't want to do something, but then they don't say that they also feel a little guilty about that. And so then things get kind of messy where um, it might be perceived by the person who's doing the work as interference from the siblings, and from the siblings it might be perceived that, oh, well, you're not letting us, and really a, a long conversation has to ensue so that we can find out what places we want as these changes are occurring. You know, it's interesting. I uh, was a, a family therapist at the University of Rochester, and one of the things we found is with older parents, there's oftentimes one stable family member who is kind of there taking care of them. And sometimes the other family members are like, well, she's going to get the house, and she's there, and she's going to get everything, and she's going to be in control. And by the time we did family therapy with the family, they are supporting that person and saying, hey, thank you for being there. Thank you for taking care of mom and dad. And it, it becomes a whole different paradigm. Right. And, and, and I, have, I, have learned, I have learned that I don't know enough about, about families in grief. I'm sure as a family therapist you've seen a number of families in grief. But I, don't th- I haven't seen enough written about it to, to be very helpful. Um, I've, I've learned that, that families are like a pressure cooker, that um, when we're grieving somebody we have a very, very high capacity or a high need to be understood by others mm-hmm. and a very low capacity to be understanding of others. <laughs> right. I think that's a good so point. So you put a group of people together who are family members in that setting, and they all have a high need to be understood and a low capacity to understand each other, and no wonder we get problems. Yeah, exactly. And so I think it, it can be really, really helpful to have someone like you or me sit down and listen and help to sort out the difficulties. Absolutely. And talk a little bit about your books and how, uh, how you're available, are you? And I want to talk to you about your um, bead blessings, too. So tell us all this stuff that you've got. Okay. Well, I'm a writer, and um, the first thing that I wanted to write was a book about uh, writing a eulogy, and it's called Good Words, Memorializing Through a Eulogy. And I did that because I have listened to people's eulogies and um, not critiquing them from a writing teacher's perspective, but knowing that, they, that people were trying to say deep and important things about their loved ones and were having difficulty in getting past the bowling scores. And so <laughs> I teach people how to write a eulogy from, from the start of, of gathering some information and putting it together. And so if, I've, I've written a writing book about how to write a eulogy, and I've presented it in different forms, in little booklets, for people who have difficult situations or people who want to use the voices of children or people who want to write about children, I, about different religious settings. I have them all together in one book, but I have them broken out into small booklets as well if people are only interested in one topic. And really what I want to help people do is share the real characteristics of the loved one, that person's virtues, their noble actions, their qualities of character, that people will want to emulate, the things that they're going to miss and what they're going to hope will continue on in the lives of other people. 
And by the way, eulogies are wonderful to share with the person who is dying to say, this is what I want everyone in the world to hear about you. What a lovely gift to give. And, and they can be written years after a death and ah. still be a gift. Oh, that's nice. I love that. So we have the eulogy. And then I wrote More Good Words, Practical Activities for Mourning, which really focuses on the difference between grief and mourning. That grief is a passive set of emotions that hit us and hurt us in a very natural way, but in a way that we can't ward off. I mean, there's no way you can anticipate how you will behave when you learn that someone you love has died. Mourning is what we do to express that pain. And we often express it socially with other people around, and sometimes we express it by ourselves, but we do it through writing or talking or reading or making things. And so I wrote a book with all kinds of activities in, in for people to think about what they can do on a day-to-day basis to continue to express their pain in mourning. And that is one significant way that people start to heal and get better. Give us one example of that. Uh, a very easy example is um, gathering up the T-shirts or the sweatshirts of the person that you love and making a memorial quilt uh, yes. out of those. That's great. And um, my mother just got done making six memorial quilts this past year of her George's T-shirts and my sister's T-shirts to give to their kids. I love that. It's never too late to do this. I gave, I put my son's, uh, we had still had some things around from him, a jacket and things, and I made the girls, had someone make bears for all of them a couple of years ago for Christmas, even though it's been many, many years, and it, it was really um, very special for everybody. So just to let everybody know it's not too late. So uh, talk about the bead blessings, too. Well, bead blessings are something that I, I have have made. Um, I'm not the, the jeweler who makes them. Uh, I have a friend who does. And um, we designed it together to give people something to hold while they are meditating, practicing their breathing, fidgeting. People get really fidgety when they're at grief groups and that sort of thing. So when they're grieving, they need something to do with their hands. Something that's comforting to, to meditate to, to pray with. Um, not like a rosary so much as just something comforting to hold and remind you it's tangible it's in your hands to remind you to breathe or to say your mantra Um, and we make them with with symbols of hope Um, butterfly or dragonfly both um, common symbols of rebirth and um, a tree of life which most people will recognize as a common symbol an elephant for children, because we tell children that elephants never forget, and you don't have to either. <laughs> I love that. And my favorite symbol is called a Sankofa, and it comes from Ghana, and it is a symbol of a bird that looks backwards and touches its back. Um, and sometimes the bird is t- picking up an egg from the back in the way the symbol is, is, is drawn or produced. And that symbolizes bringing from the past into the future, that we bring from the past what is necessary to move into the future. And I I find that symbolism to be very powerful with grief because so often in our culture we're told to leave it behind and, you can put this in air quotes, move on. But instead what we need to do is integrate our past with our present for uh, for the benefit of our future. And the Sankofa so nicely 
shows us um, the wisdom of that thinking, that we are who we've been, and we integrate who we've lost, and we continue to live fully with all of that together inside of us. I love that. And you can take a look at these bead blessings by going to Beth's website, Good Words for Bereavement and Warning. And you can also Google her name, of course, Beth L. Hewitt, H-E-W-E-T-T. And she's a bereavement coach and author. You'll be able to get in touch with her. And, uh, you know, you can also read about her experiences as a college professor and some of the things things that she's done there on the web. But if you want to go specifically to these wonderful books she's written and the beads, go to Good Words for Bereavement and Mourning and to Beth Hewitt. And Beth, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's just great. I love what you've been doing, and I love your thoughts. And thank you for sharing about your family experience, because I know that there are so many people who have lost a parent that are kind of wandering around in the wilderness, wondering about their life now. So thank you so much. Well, you're welcome, and I appreciate this opportunity to share some thoughts with people. And if you'd like to find me online and find out what I'm doing and connect with me, Go to goodwordsforgrieving, all one word, dot com, goodwordsforgrieving.com. And let you know, too, all of you who are listening, that I don't know how you feel individually, but I know how it feels to, to hurt. And if you set an intention to heal, then you can find hope and live your life in a full and joyful way. Uh, thank you, Beth, and God bless. Thank you. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.